Well, good morning. It's, it is so fun to be with you and to open God's Word with you this morning. Pastor Mike is, is uh, returning the favor that Spencer Brown uh, did for us a few weeks ago and is preaching at Center City Church at uh, uh, another free church, kind of a sister church of ours here in, in town. And uh, I'm sure he would want me to tell you that uh, you can pray for him. Um, and he will be back next week, and he's not going anywhere. So don't want to start any rumors about that. But Pastor Mike will be back to, to bring us through the rest of the Christmas season. This morning's passage and the message is from Exodus chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to, to open to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one from the back there in the foyer and just take it with you as a gift to us. Um, I think there's a little bit of irony in, in me being the one preaching from Exodus chapter 15 because the, really the whole text is a song. It's a song to the Lord and, and it, it follows uh, the amazing events from last week that we saw uh, that Pastor Ryan brought us through. And the irony is that I am the least musical person in our family. And so it's, it's totally not appropriate that I would be the one to bring this message. I, f- I feel like I have married into the Von Trapp family from The Sound of Music. You know, all my kids are so gifted and talented, my wife and all of her siblings. And, and you know, they claim that there's always a song going on in their head. There's always music going on. And I don't know the first thing about that. I just have to trust that that's true. Um, and I, ha- I guess I have to trust that, that God is going to do His work through this message uh, in spite of the fact that I'm the least musical of all of us. So to, to capture where we were last week, uh, there's a slide from a, from a movie. It's, a, it's just an, ep, an epic uh, adventure that we had. And so I want you to pop over to the, uh, that famous scene from the Ten Commandments, uh, if you would. Charlton Heston is the guy that always comes to mind when I think about Moses, I have to admit it. So I hope we have the slides moving. Do we? Oh, boy. Um, so you're going to have to trust me. There he is. There he is. Yay. So whenever I think of Moses, I can't get this picture out of my head. And I also, when I was hearing the narrative from last week, was just stunned by and, and reminded of when I was a little kid, how impactful this movie scene was to me. First of all, the, the Israelites walking through the dry ground with the, the walls of water up on the sides as Moses held his hands out. And the, just what, how really terrifying that must have been. And then just moments later, as they came through the, uh, the water, then all of a sudden, you see here, Moses drops his hands and that water comes crashing over the, the, the Pharaoh's army and the horsemen and all the chariots and they're floating and drowning. And it was, it's just a remarkable and impactful uh, movie scene for me. Almost as much as those flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz, but that has nothing to do with the message, so I'm not gonna go there. But I trust that you have this in mind as we go now and transition to a song. All of a sudden, instead of me getting the privilege of, of teaching from an epic event from a movie, I'm, we're going to listen to the Lord teach us uh, about worship uh, through a song. So as we do that, I would just ask that you take a moment and pray with me, and then we're going to go into God's Word. Lord, I would just ask you this morning to help Help each of us have a deeper understanding, not just of what it is that you have done in the past and, and in our present, but also understand more of who you are. 
in light of what you're doing and what you've done. I pray just now that we'll have our attention shifted away from ourselves, away from even others around us, and even away from the characters in, these, uh, in the adventure that we're, we're studying. And as we hear this story, Lord, I pray that we would be focused on you, what you want from us and what you want to, us to learn from you about who you are. This morning, I also just pray for Pastor Jeremy Hickman of the Vertical Church, which is a new church plant. And Lord, I know they're probably dealing with all kinds of challenges with being a new church. And I ask your blessing on their service this morning and on the word that goes forth. May it be fruitful and may it encourage those who have joined Pastor Hickman in this church plant. I ask your blessing on them, even as you, I ask your blessing on us as we open your word together this morning and hear from you. Thank you, and we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Song of Moses to you, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into uh, not the context of the song and then also really what the message of the song is. So this is from, uh, from Exodus chapter 15, beginning at the beginning. Then Moses and all the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The flood covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the hearts of the sea. And the enemy said, well, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O God, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led them, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants, inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the lead, leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and all his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, 
Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. I want to take a moment before we study the, the lyrics of this song to just think about why this song is here. It's really, I'll call it part one, the, the message of the story, the narrative that we're about to study here. And I'm going to give you the, the upfront summary of, of why I think this, this song uh, suddenly creates the Ten Commandments and turns it into a musical. It's simply this, that God spectacularly saved His people to the glory of His name. God spectacularly saved His people to the glory of His name. You know, this, is, this passage is the first recorded song in the Bible. It's the first time that anywhere in, in the Old Testament we read of people singing and giving glory to God. And it's a very powerful pause in the story that we would stop and take notice of what just happened and then be reminded of what might happen in the very near future to give God glory, to be reminded of how epic and incredible God's hand is in this story. And I keep using the word epic and I can't help it because that's what comes to mind. This is such a marvelous and incredible event that we're marking uh, with song here. And you can also imagine the, the mindset and the heart of the people that were singing this song for the first time. For 400 years, God's people had been in, in slavery in Egypt. None of the people that were singing this song had ever known a day of freedom in their lives. And suddenly, in a moment, not only did they get a head start in running away, they saw their captors destroyed before their eyes. And in a moment, their whole, everything about their lives had changed. As God had promised, they were freed from the captivity that they had experienced all of their lives. It had to have been an unbelievable emotional moment for them. And God causes them to pause and stop and sing to His glory because of it. It's an incredible event. And singing about it is sort of a way of taking an ancient selfie of the moment. It's a way of remembering what happened. They didn't have cell phones, and so they stopped and sang to the glory of God. And you, you and I know that singing is a way of remembering things. You know, I remember learning my ABCs. I didn't memorize them from some boring thing on a board. I had to sing the ABCs, right? Well, I still sing the ABCs when I'm trying to put things in alphabetical order. Or, or, or how about, you know, Schoolhouse Rock and Sesame Street and all these places that taught us about American history and, and about uh, the language by singing songs about it. You know, it's, it's really a neat thing. Uh, the, uh, my kids learned the 50 states much quicker than I did because they got to learn to sing a song about the 50 nifty United States. And so it's, it's God's way of helping us to remember what it is that, he's, that, that we're supposed to hold on to. And that's, that's a really important part of this narrative. And God also chose Moses to write this song. And I think that's not a coincidence. Now, the, these words are inspired. They're, they're in the Scriptures for all of us to enjoy for all eternity. But God used Moses to record the, the inspired Word of God. Moses was a unique man who knew and loved God uh, differently than anybody else did. Uh, he was a man who spoke to God as, as God would talk to a friend, as, as the Bible says. And in Psalm 103, uh, we're reminded that God made known His ways to Moses as He made known His acts to, to His people. 
The people understood what they were seeing and what was going on, but Moses understood God's ways. He had a special relationship with him and was able to, to record the, the heart of what was going on at that time. And I think really Moses is also helping teach his people how to worship. And he's also teaching us how to worship. And I want to just take a moment to take three quick steps through the process of learning to worship. And, and it, it's all kind of captured in the fact that we're singing a song right after these events. The first one is this. As we uh, are taught to worship, we have to recognize and reflect on the remarkable. In other words, we need to admit that there's miracles going on. And it's, it's important because unless we do that, we don't get anywhere with glorifying and worshiping God. You know, Pastor Ryan mentioned last week that some people would take away from the glory of God in this, in this scene by saying that somehow the people were walking along a beach at low tide, you know, and they, they were on dry ground, and then, you know, a few minutes later the tide came in and, and it caused trouble for the, the army of Egypt. Well, I'm sorry, but that is not what the Word of God says. And furthermore, it totally takes away from the glory of God in this. And how often do we find this happening, even by theologians, people who go to church and want to explain everything that the Scriptures identify? Let's just celebrate the remarkable and the majestic and the incredible uh, in the Word of God and in our lives. So this is a good step, but it's not enough. We also have to give God credit for what happened. We can't just say, oh, that was a lucky thing that happened. Oh, boy, you know, you know yin and yang and, and karma and all kinds of different ways that people describe the miraculous in their lives, right? But that's, that's not at all. This is God Himself, our Creator, at the heart of the miraculous in our lives and in the lives in the Scriptures. So that's a good step. But it's still not enough. Because I can... I can go back just a few chapters in the book of Exodus, and we saw that Pharaoh's toadies, whatever they are, his people, his, his, his uh, you know, the magicians and all, the, all they took is to get to the third plague, the plague of gnats, and they said, this is the finger of God. This is God. They gave God credit. They really did. But they didn't give Him glory. And that's the problem. All they did was say, yeah, that was God. And that is an incredible thing. So we have to take the third step, which is to give God glory in what we see. To give Him, and we're called to worship because of the miracles of God. It's really at the heart of the meaning of our lives. Uh, I've heard it said that the meaning of life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that is at the heart of learning to worship God. And it's the process that He takes us through when we experience amazing and incredible things in our lives. What we need to be able to say is that we give Him glory for redeeming us, for doing things in our lives that we could not possibly do for ourselves. This is the beginning of the Gospel. And it brings, it brings to light the fact that even the miracles of my life and even the miracles of the people of God, like we saw in the Old Testament, they're not about us. They're not about me. And, and you know, that's a, that's a revelation. Now, wait a minute. You know, God went to great lengths to save me and, and give His Son on my behalf and, and bring me eternal life and all that. What do you mean it's not about me? But it's not. Because the end of it is to give God glory. God is raising up worshipers. That's how He's saving His people and why He's saving them. And I remember as a young Christian really not having that 
principle embedded in my head at all. As I interacted with God, everything was about me and my circumstances. About 35 years ago, I was getting ready to go on a, a Christian concert tour. I, I was the technical guy, you know, hauling all the equipment around for the, the good musicians to sing, and I lost my wallet right before we were to leave. And I was just devastated. I couldn't even drive. I didn't get to go on the whole, on the whole tour. It was just awful. And I remember just crying out, well, God, I'm doing all this for you. It's, what is wrong? You know, why are you doing this to me? You know? And God sort of gave me that simple impression. I'm not saying it was his voice, but it sure sounded like it. And all he said to me was, it's not about you. And that's all he ever said. And I took, but you know what? I began to think, wow, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> it might not be about me. <clears throat> and it was a helpful thing for me in my spiritual growth. And by the way, I made, it I made it 35 years until this past week when I lost my wallet again. <laughs> in somewhere in Chandler, Arizona, I don't know where it is, this time I didn't ask God why that happened. A few other observations about this passage, and then we're going to jump into the words of, of the song. And in doing that, I'm, I'm taking a, a a leap here that you'll bear with me. And the next, song, uh, the next uh, picture is one of, of me and my family as young kids uh, being mu trying to pretend to be musicians. The, the one on the left with the stripy pants you might know as me. Um, the reason I put that up here is because the first, the first principle I want to share is that, that, that music uh, from this passage is inspired, but it's not professional. And certainly in my life, I can promise you that any music I've ever been involved with is not professional, and it started with this. You know, Miriam had nothing more than a tambourine. If you look carefully, the, the, the little girls in there, one of them being my sister, is, is whacking around on a homemade tambourine. It has washers, nails, and wood from my grandpa's shop. That's all we, that's all we had, and the rest of us are playing rubber band guitars. It was entirely unprofessional. Um, and it reminds me a bit of probably the musical quality, maybe, of the people of, that were worshiping God, you know, at the time of the Exodus. Let's go get off. The, by the way, the only spiritual thing about that picture is that my pants are made of the same material that, that Charlton Heston's robe was made out of. <laughs> my, my mother drove me crazy. Everybody wore blue jeans and I wore stripy pants like that. It was awful. <clears throat> okay, inspired but not professional, uh, an observation, yeah, thank you for taking that picture off. Um, you know that when, when God's people left uh, Egypt, they didn't even have time to bake bread, and they were in a rush. God told them, go, 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 and they didn't have time to pack up their amplifiers or the guitars or the pipe organs or the, the, you know, the electric bass or anything. They just went and apparently had tambourines with them, and that was it. So we are without excuse if we say, well, I'm not a professional musician, I don't know how to worship. Because God called his people to worship and it was not re related at all to whether or not they had any musical abilities or any even instruments for that matter. You know, nobody goes to music school and majors in tambourine. They just don't. It's, it's a, an instrument intended to provide a little bit of rhythm to hold things together, but it's not the point at all of worshiping God. It certainly wasn't then. And as much as I appreciate and enjoy the good music that we have now, the instruments uh, and the quality of the musicians is it's helpful and important and good, but it's, the real point is God and the, and the song and the worship that we provide to Him. So if you are like me and 
would say, well, I don't, I'm not very good musically. That's still no excuse for, for uh, failing to lift our voices to God because that's his calling for us. An- another observation is that this song was a new song which is now ancient. You know, sometimes when we come to a, a Sunday morning and we sing a song we don't know and we're a little bit flustered because we don't uh, uh, know quite how to join in, I can promise you nobody in Israel knew this song when God when when it was written because the events had just happened like the day before and so it was a brand new song to them and their voices were lifted in praise to God and now that song is 3,000 years old and we still worship and sing that song and it's the heart of it and you're going to see later in this message that we'll be singing it in the future as well it's really very exciting the people were also free right from their captors but they were still in the desert And that's the next observation. They were still a long ways off from the promised land. And the the adventures that they had ahead of them were really difficult. Many of the problems were brought on by their own disobedience. Um, And we often find ourselves in exactly the same spot. We show up to worship God and we're in a dry place and things are tough and our life is hard and we are hurting and we are miserable. That, the point of, of worshiping God is, is not necessarily to make that all go away in a moment. I wish it was true. But in the pattern of the book of Exodus, we see that we're to raise our voices in praise to Him even in the midst of the most difficult and dry times of our lives. That's what these people did. We're called to give God glory today, right where we are and right with what we're dealing with. It's really important that we grasp that because otherwise we'll totally lose the next principle and that is that the salvation and deliverance of God has to do with the past, present, and future for us. And it did for the people of Israel Israel as well. In the past, Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead for our benefit, that that we can see the conquering of death and sin. In the present, we're called to respond to that and give give our lives and heart to Him. And in the future, we're promised a life of eternity of worshiping and glorifying God in heaven. So the past, present, and future all come together, but it's still in we're still in the desert, and that's where we find ourselves. Okay, let's jump into this, the lyrics of the song just a little bit and, and study for a moment what it is that uh, the people of Israel were singing to the Lord. And I'm going to add a, a, a kind of a verse to the, the takeaway from this part. Uh, earlier I said that God spectacularly saved His people to the glory of His name. And now I'll add another element of it, which is this, securing their future and His glory forever. Securing their future and His glory forever. And this now becomes another theme of the actual song. Not just what happened, but what is going to happen. In fact, take a look at this real quick. The the chorus of the song is very simple. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has has, has been thrown into the sea. There you see God spectacularly delivering His people. There you see to the glory of the name of the Lord. But then then in the same song, down in verse 17, you see, you bring your people and plant them on your mountain, the place of your abode, and the Lord will reign forever and ever. And suddenly we see this principle in play that we, God is securing his, our future and His glory for all of eternity. God resided with the people in the tabernacle, in the desert, then in the temple, when they were finally uh, 
brought into the promised land and now in the hearts of his people through the Holy Spirit and someday to reside forever in heaven where we'll find ourselves glorifying and worshiping God for all eternity. So we see this push into the future that it should be very encouraging for us. And similarly, in verse 5 of the song, the, uh, the narrative about what just happened says that they went down, they, the, the bad guys, went down into the depths like a stone by your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. God's spectacularly, spectacular deed done to the glory of His name. But then in verse 16, because of the greatness of your arm, the Canaanites will be terrified and will become still as stone. In the future, in the promised land, God is securing their future to His glory. And by the way, the word stone is there, I'm sure, poetically and for a reason both times. They sank like a stone in the past and in the future they'll be still as a stone because they'll be terrified because of the, what God has done here this day. And you see this pattern throughout the entire song in the, book, uh, or in the song of Moses. In verse 3, the Lord is our strength and song and salvation and we'll praise Him. In verse 4 through 6, the chariots and officers are sunk and, and they sink like lead. They're shattered and the Lord is glorious because of this. In verses 7 through 11, the fury of God and the blast from His nostrils cause the, uh, the wind to come up and push the water back over our enemies. How majestic, holy, and awesome is our God. And then in verses 13 through 18, we see over and over that God is leading and delivering His people, that He has a future for them, conquering those in the promised land and securing the future of, of God's people as He reigns forever. You know, I wish, I wish like anything, that the, the people and the spies of Israel later on would have been singing the song of Moses when they went in and spied on the promised land. What would, might have been different if they had come back saying, I know what I saw, but I know the promise of God and the Canaanites will be still like stone before us. But instead, they came back and said, yeah, we're little tiny grasshoppers and they're huge and we're going to be destroyed. So we shouldn't go in because it's just, there's no hope. They had totally forgotten the song of Moses by the time they sent spies into the promised land things could have really turned out differently for the people who died in the desert because of their own uh, lack of faith. So as we're learning about worshiping, I'm also going to add one more principle to the, the teaching of God's people to, to worship Him. We talked about recognizing and reflecting on the remarkable, giving God credit, giving God glory, and now we have one more, which is this, that we will find joy and hope in the future of God of the glory of God finding joy and hope for the future in the glory of God I don't know if I have a slide on that yeah we do there we go look at that one two three four in number four we see our future being unfolded before us and this comes right from the promise of God in the book of Romans Romans 5 2 says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and I want to take a moment and think about that verse. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What that, what, that, what that says is that when we give God glory, we acknowledge how awesome He is and we can rejoice in the hope that our future brings us. Put it in the negative is this. If God is not glorified, then we are without joy. When, and you might wonder, why is my life just void of any joy? Well, I, I wonder if you are giving God glory 
I wonder if you're worshiping Him and glorifying Him. This is one of those principles very similar to what we saw that Paul taught in the book of Philemon when he said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. And this is similar to that. It says, I pray that you would worship God so that you will understand Him. You don't wait until you have it all figured out before we bow our knees and glorify Him and give praise to who He is. Much of what we're going to experience in our lives, we will never have a full understanding of, at least not in this lifetime. And so this message, similar to the Gospel, is that we come to Him as we are, where we are, to worship Him, to, to submit our lives to Him, that we would be drawn close to Him and that we would come to know Him and understand His, His ways as Moses did. It's, it's a calling on our lives to give our hearts and lives to God and, and bring worship to Him because He is worthy simply because of who He is and for what He's doing in our lives. The final part of this message has to do with the melody of the song. We, we've looked at the narrative and why a song is there. We've studied just a bit on the, the lyrics of this song. And now we come to the melody of the song, which is Jesus Christ Himself. And uh, to, to highlight this, I'm going to take us to a single verse from the book of Jude in the New Testament. It's Jude, verse 5. And I want us to just reflect on this for a moment. It says, I want to remind you although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Wow, this just changed the whole thing. Jesus Christ is the one who saved the people of Israel out of Egypt. Jesus was there in all of the glory and all of the miracles that we just have been reading about. This is Christ Himself. It, it brings the entire focus of this story to Him. And it, this is one of those pre-incarnate, big, big fancy words for the presence of Christ in, the, in history before He was even born because He's been with us for all of eternity. And it changes, it changes, at least emphasizes differently the whole melody of the song that we've been talking about. And suddenly what, I, what we would say is just slightly different. It's this, Jesus sacrificially saves His people to the glory of His name, securing our future and His glory forever. Jesus sacrificially saves His people to the glory of His name, securing our future and His glory forever. Now, not only was Jesus present in these events, He is the point of the entire narrative that we've just been reading about. Um, and I told you earlier that uh, the Song of Moses is the first song recorded in the Bible as being sung in the Scriptures. Well, the Song of Moses is also the last song that's recorded as being sung in the Bible. And if you would, take a moment and go all the way to Revelation chapter 15, almost the entire end of the Scriptures, and we're going to see the Song of Moses again in case we miss the point that the point is Christ. Revelation 15, starting at the, at the beginning of, of that passage, I'm, I'll go ahead and read it to you uh, as you're turning there. Then I, This is John, by the way. John now uh, recording what the visions that he had seen had been given to him by God um, in, in the very end times of, of history. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. 
And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and they sang the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So in this ancient song from a, from a historical uh, event that we saw, the song of, the Mo- of, of Moses and the song of the Lamb are sung side by side. One is about Jesus in the Exodus and one is about Jesus in our future when He is in heaven and we're gathered uh, around Him to glorify and worship His name. And, and just in case we miss it, the structure of the song of the Lamb is identical to the structure of the song of Moses. We see that Jesus sacrificially saves His people to the glory of His name just like we saw in the in the chorus in the book of or in the song of Moses, we also read in the song of the Lamb that great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. So God's deeds are miraculous and incredible. And who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name to give Him glory for the deeds He accomplished? And then in the event that we miss the the calling to to be confident of the future we read that all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed and when you lay these songs side by side i wish i could do it on a huge poster and and analyze these scriptures and these words because it's just incredible how the two songs really are the same song in a sense it's the same structure the same subject the same theme all pointing to christ And now suddenly the song of Moses is coming to life for us. The horse and his rider. Yeah, that was the the, uh, people pursuing Israel in the Old Testament. But the horse and the rider that God is destroying in our lives is the sin and the death that we cannot overcome, that that are with us always. And God, through through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of His Son, destroys the spiritual enemies of my life. And my horse and rider are thrown into the sea. And suddenly I'm, I'm, looked, I'm, I'm brought into the story and I'm called to worship and glorify Him for the incredible events that He's done. And our future, my future, and God's glory awaits us not just today, but in heaven where all of us together will glorify His name from every tongue and tribe and nation. And the, the future song of the Lamb is is singing about an even more distant future, by the way. In Revelation, uh, we, there's still future yet to come, even in, this, in the Song of the Lamb, where the wrath of God will be finished, being poured out on the earth, and all His people will be gathered to Him. There will be no more sin and no more night, and all we have is to worship together and worship the Lamb for all of eternity, singing both the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb side by side. Wow! That is, that is encouraging and awesome for me. In the past, God had His people worship Jesus without knowing His name. In the present, we have the privilege of worshiping Him by name because we know of His, his life and His death and resurrection on the cross. And in the future, all His people will come together to worship His name. And you know what? We will not be banging on tambourines. And we will not be in the desert in this, in this last song. 
we are going to be by the sea of glass. I don't know what that is. That just sounds great. And I don't know what a harp of God is, but that sounds really awesome to be, a, to be hearing. And I probably won't be playing one of those harps of glass, but somebody will. Maybe some of you. I don't know. And it will be a glorious and awesome and beautiful and perfect song being given to our Savior. And praise God that we'll have the privilege of doing that in our future. The implication is very profound, and it should change how we worship today. You know, I, I almost want to say that sometimes I think that all of our worship that we'll do in our lifetime here on earth is a little bit like choir practice for a time in all eternity when we come together and glorify and worship His name. Because we haven't had everything re revealed to us yet, even, even as the people uh, in Israel and in Exodus they hadn't had everything revealed to them. In the book of Moses, or in the song of Moses, God used water to shed the blood of His enemies. But in the song of the Lamb, God shed the blood of His own Son that the enemies of God would be made right with Him. And that includes us. There is no amount of blood of enemies of God that can be shed to make things right. It was only in the shed blood of His Son that we can be brought into a right relationship with Him. And that's the powerful, that's the powerful melody of the song of the Lamb. I'm going to close this in, in a, a moment of reflection and prayer. There's... Uh, as, you, as we consider this, uh, this message, I don't know what God has done in your heart. I, I can tell you for me, um, the last weeks in preparing for this has, has helped me to recognize the need for me to lift my heart in praise to Him uh, in spite of sometimes my circumstances and, and because of the work that God is doing. And uh, I'll just ask you to consider these questions. What has God spectacularly done in your life? What has God spectacularly done? And if you can't think of one thing, then you go to the cross and you recognize that Jesus Christ was shed, died and shed His blood on your behalf and rose again from the dead. And what is your response? Do you, do you give your life and heart to Him wholeheartedly and response so that you can sing and worship Him today and forever? And then do you remember do you remember these things? As we worship God, we remember who He is and how great He is. And we can be secure in our future and in God's glory for all of eternity. God is connecting our, our future and the hope of our future through our worship to us today, giving us hope and giving us faith because as we lift our voices to worship and glorify Him. So let's just take a moment to reflect and then I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And God, every time I open this passage, I just feel a little bit undone, just so affected. I thank you for what you've done for us and for me on the cross, that you have destroyed the horse and riders that have pursued me all my life, that you have destroyed death and given hope that we might have victory, Lord, that we might have life in you. And I pray that we will glorify you and worship you because of what you have done for us to your glory. And I pray you teach us to respond, to respond in worship, that we would have a joy today and a hope for the future because of your glory. And that, Lord, as we gather <coughs> together to worship your name, and as we do this individually, that we will know you better 
because we lift our hearts and, and our voices in praise and sing and give you glory. Thank you for this reminder and for the privilege of, of hearing this from your word and from your song. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.